0: Welcome to the Invest With Clarity podcast, where you will learn how success in investing, as in life, is the result of absolute clarity. Mark Pearson of Nepsis in Minneapolis, Minnesota, shares his passion for portfolio management and commitment to transparency and communication to allow investors to fully understand what they own and why, bringing them to clarity in their investments. And now, here are your co-hosts Matt Halloran and Mark Pearson. Hello, and welcome to another Invest with Clarity podcast with Mark Pearson. Now, Mark and I have talked about this many, many times on the show, but it just seems to be coming to a head more and more in the news that the market does anything, and it could be a .01 you know, increase or decrease in in overall valuation. The S&P is down three points and the news makes it sound like it's the end of the world. And if you have been listening to the podcast, you know that the Nepsis philosophy knows and and from their discipline knows that that's a great opportunity to buy stocks on a discount. But it's the herd mentality that I want to talk about today. Mark, what in God's name do we do to make people realize that a 1% decline in any of the markets is not the end of the world?
1: Well, what's funny, I use the The number one percent there because I'm literally looking at a report out of uh, Morgan Stanley, uh, or I'm sorry, not Morgan Stanley, J.P. Morgan, uh, talking about how uh, market swings of over one percent are not uncommon, (laughs) and uh, they're they're not uncommon, and you know apparently according to this in 2018 we've had 39 of them, averages 62. Of moves in a year of 1% or more. Hmm. Um, and, you know, I think there's, a, so I have theories on this. As you know, I've been talking to you about the whole uh, renewed passion I have for being uh, an industry disruptor yeah. for really bringing, you know, investors back into a level of clarity. I just think investors don't have investment clarity. And I think the media, I think the news feeds, I think the financial services industry has a lot to do that. Obviously, with the advent of the Internet and blog sites and even podcasts like this, there is no lack of prognostication, postulation, and speculation that goes on about what people think is going to happen, what people think is a good buy or a bad buy and then giving all their prognostications about it. And I think at the end of the day, a lot of times what that does is it clouds investment clarity more than anything else. And at the end of the day, the most important aspect of an investment portfolio, remember, we've talked about this in the past, your portfolio is the fuel that drives the plan, right? It's the Mm -hmm. fuel that drives the journey that's going to get you from point A to point Z in your financial plan. And the fuel that many people think has to be at a certain level, has to be octane 93, right? But octane 91 will get you there, octane <laughs> 89 will get you there, and even the octane 87, if you got an old beater, will get you there, right? Mm-hmm. Gas gas will get you from point A to point B if, if if your car takes gas, okay? Well, an investment portfolio, maybe a 6% gets you there, an 8% definitely gets you, here, 10% for sure gets you there, and we all want 10%, But I don't know that we all understand all the variables that are associated with with achieving certain rates of return. And so, therefore, human nature, we are greedy. We all want to get the best we can. But we're not understanding the risks associated with doing that. The news is one of those risks. Mm -hmm. Let me say that again. Listening to the news, listening to the media is a risk to not achieving your goals because of the emotional psychological predisposition of the way the human being is built that makes any sense at all
0: it does where's the safe place though mark that's that's what i'm struggling with uh there has to be a safe place or a safe frequency or a safe something where you know your clients uh, your advisors can send their clients to to find out what's really going on what's that safe place
1: Oh, yeah. yes. You ask such good questions, Vicki. Uh, well, first of all, safe is relative, right? What does safe mean? So let's dissect that for a second. Sure. Uh, when you say safe, define for me what you really mean, what, you, what you're what you thinking about what you need safe for.
0: Well, okay. And and you know what, now that you say that, that, that might not have been the greatest qualifying word. Uh, a reliable place that doesn't have its own agenda. How's that?
1: Mm. How's mm. that? Aha. Very good. Okay. It's hard. That's really hard. I'm biased. I think you, you know, if you read the white papers we make available, mm-hmm. if you read the if you read the if you listen to our podcast, um I'm biased, but my biasness is back to a fundamental principle of investing. It's not investing in the stock market. You got to remember, Matt, that The stock market is not an investment. Yet you hear so many people say, I'm invested in the stock market. Mm -hmm. I'm invested in the market. What are the markets doing today? That's a false narrative. Let me say it again. (laughs) It's a false narrative. It is not how you should perceive your investments. You don't invest in a stock market. A market is a place where you go to buy and sell things. That's not an opinion. That's a fact. Okay? You don't invest in the stock market. That's a fact. You invest in businesses. You invest in stocks that are bought and sold in the market. Okay. And what investors are struggling with is this narrative of fees and indexing. Go buy the index because it's cheap. And I had this conversation with an advisor this morning about this, Matt. Hmm. This, this idea that we, the, the industry is killing itself. I mean, we're, we're eating our young, so to speak, here, because what we're doing is we are teaching a false narrative. We are teaching people that the only way to invest is to go into an index fund and to benchmark your performance, because everyone wants to know, how am I doing? How am I doing? How do I know if I'm doing well? Are you on track to accomplish your financial goals? Is your portfolio performing? Is the fuel that is driving your plan, is the fuel working? Is it getting you from point A to point Z? You maybe don't need 10% a year to get there. Maybe you only need five. Maybe you don't have to have as much volatility. Maybe you don't have to take as much risk understanding where you need to go, okay? So the industry is teaching this, but I sat down with, I had four meetings yesterday with investors who we manage money for, for one of our advisors. And every single one of these clients that this advisor put me in front of, one of their main issues was their portfolio that we managed was not doing as well as the S&P 500 this year or last year. And the reason is that most portfolios not only are not invested like the S&P 500, but they should not be invested like the S&P 500. Fundamentally, fiduciarily, long-term investing should be in U.S., international, and emerging markets. Now, yes, international emerging markets are, from a performance standpoint, huge disparity to the United States since the financial crisis. And the next podcast will bring Chuck back on. We're going to talk more about this. But I showed these folks some statistics. I want our listeners to listen to this really careful. This is going to blow you away. When the S&P was up 10% this year, just over 10%, Matt, the top six holdings, which were Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, uh, Boeing, Visa, and Netflix, were up, again, the top six brought in 6% of total return. It was 59.34% of the S&P's total return year-to-date. Six stocks. What people don't understand about indexes is, they are the the, the S and P anyway is market cap weighted. The larger the market cap, the more impact it has on the index. Okay.
0: Okay, hold on. I, I want I want you to define that a little bit more, please. The the yep. market cap weighted because this is now those six stocks. I think people can can grasp, but I, I think yep. this is okay. Uh, elaborate, yeah.
1: please. So there is a committee that decides what percentage and what companies go into. there's a formula, and I don't know the formula, but the committee picks what stocks that go into the S&P 500. The the larger the market cap of the stock, the greater impact it has on the index. Because there's a formula, and I don't know what the formula is, Chuck probably does, but basically, the weighting of each stock to that index is based on the size of the company. So Apple for an example, has a 4.29% weighting to the index. Visa has a 1.07. Microsoft, 3.56. Weighting to the index. So the smaller the company, the less impact to the index. And what you end up having is a false sense of how an economy is really doing. I don't have the numbers, but Chuck talks about how the New York Stock Exchange, 1,000, 1,000 stocks in the, in the market uh, a couple of weeks ago while the S&P was up like 10%. That index was actually flat. Okay, So I, I, I'll go into that more in a minute. But these six stocks, because it's market cap, the larger the company, the more impact it has on the index. Almost 60%, Matt, of the S&P's uh, return is from six stocks. Do you think that's important to know, by the way?
0: That's why I wanted you to elaborate on it. Absolutely. That's huge.
1: (laughs) For sure. Okay, now, what happens if you listen to every Tom, Dick, and Harry say, you might as well buy the index. It's cheaper. It's cheaper. It's cheaper. Go buy cheap. Go buy cheap. Go buy the index, because quote-unquote money managers don't perform as well anyway. What happens? Money pours into the S&P 500 index, mutual funds, and ETFs. Right. Common sense. Mm -hmm. Right. So what happens then? Well, the index is forced at that point, forced to go buy the stocks in the index relative to their weighting of the index, because that cash has to be invested like the index. Right. Mm -hmm. So in other words, the more money you put into the index, The more you inflate the valuations of the largest percentage holdings in the s p so the price to earnings ratio when you hear pundits come on and say the market is over overvalued the market's overvalued stocks are too expensive well of the six of these yeah i mean shoot you know overvalued is relative right so visa look we've owned visa since the day it went public Visa was an expensive stock. We haven't been buying Visa lately because it's expensive. But the index funds have to buy them. So what ends up happening, Matt, is you get a 1998 to 2000. I think I talked about this on the last podcast. Mm-hmm. The S&P was up like 26%, right, in 1998 through 1998 through March of 2000, the peak. And, the, and, and as the S&P was up 26%, Warren Buffett was down 38 Down 38%. And of course, at that time, everyone thought Warren Buffett was lost his mojo, thought he didn't have his gig anymore. He didn't know how to quote-unquote pick stocks. And of course, from March of 2000, the S&P was up just over 98%, Warren Buffett up over 400%. Now, why did the markets go through what they did? Well, the forward earnings at that time, at that time, the S&P was trading at 29 times forward earnings. 86% of the total S&P returns were coming from six to eight stocks in the S&P at that time many of them, by the way, who aren't even around anymore. Remember the name Global Crossing, MCI WorldCom, (laughs) Sun Microsystems? These names aren't even around anymore. Mm -hmm. These were driving the performance of the S&P and the NASDAQ, because if I remember correctly, the NASDAQ was down over 77% from peak to trough, and it wasn't until 2016 or 17 that the NASDAQ got back to the all-time high of 5,000. Well, why did that happen? Well, right now, get these stats – Apple makes up 12.74% of the NASDAQ index, Amazon 10.83, Microsoft 10%. The top six holdings of the NASDAQ make up 38.62% of the total index, okay? The S&P, I mean, I'm sorry, the NASDAQ QQQ return at that time that this was done a few weeks ago was up 17.75% year to date. Those six holdings made up 17.69% of the total return of that index. You think that's important to know?
0: It's a self-fulfilling prophecy here. That just absolutely blows me away. I love that you just described when people are wanting you to rush into these, these ETFs, these index funds, that that just compounds the growth of the index funds because yes. they I, I never knew that Mark that that was a hugely eye-opening thing for me and I, and I know you've you know kind of talked about that a little bit in the past, but for some reason today and it could just be because I'm slow and thick, you know that. but um, that that really clarified that to me. I, I want to switch gears though because you used a word early on in the podcast today that is the mechanism in which marketing companies really do get people to believe their tripe, which is greed. And yes. I love how you just said, you know, yeah, 10% is great, but if you only need, let's say 3% in order to achieve all of the goals that you set, why would you put yourself at that much risk, that much more risk because of greed? Help me with that. You've been doing this for a long time, brother.
1: Yeah. Um, so here's my, uh, this is my opinion. I, I think, you know, there are stat you know, stats and Chuck can get me a lot more of the data because I tell him what to go research and he goes and researches mm-hmm. it for me and gets all the numbers. but. This is one of the reasons why the doll bar, the QIBE report, is so big. Um, You know, the the, the industry is moving in a diametrically opposed way as to a way the human being works. So what I mean by that is uh, the industry is trying to make everything a lot more compartmentalized and scientific in nature. But investors do not make decisions scientifically. They make them behaviorally. And therefore, when you take the behavioral aspect out of investing, you will always have the doll bar report and investors not uh, and not being as successful in their investing as possible. And it's because investors are built. We are built on an emotional platform and we are built on a platform we want more and we are greedy. We want to make more money. We want to make more as much as we possibly can. Now, not everybody's built this way, obviously. But the majority of people are. This is why you see investors buy at market highs and sell at market lows. Nobody wants to buy when everything's down. Everybody wants to buy when everything is up. Why? Because it makes them feel better. We get a psychological we, we get an emotional response far greater when we make money in a positive way than the emotional response we get when we are losing money. This is, the, this is the essence of nepsis. This is the essence of the importance of clarity. And I always say to people, Matt, can you put a value? Can you put a price on clarity? Can you put a fee on clarity? If I'm charging you X, but I just talked you off the ledge from not selling your great companies you own, how much did that just save you over the long term, right? Clarity is a powerful thing. And we live in a world where the industry is trying to put us in a comparison position. Look at social media. Social media is built on comparing. That people aren't, marketing people and business people are not stupid. They know how to make money. And they make money by focusing on emotions of people. Well, when you give people greater clarity about their emotions and understanding about what they're doing... I believe they position themselves much greater to be successful longer term. It's not about the rate of return in your portfolio. And by the way, rate of returns are historical. Hmm. What's going to happen in the future? All the conversations I had yesterday, all these conversations I have with people, and I don't meet with investors a lot, and I did yesterday, and I almost had a sense of rejuvenation in this idea of how investors are so misled. I mean – Matt, I didn't even tell you about the ACWI, you know the world that the world index, the MCSI, which is the global index. At the time this was done, it was up 1.95. S&P is up 10, right? Nasdaq's up 17. The emotional, greedy investor says, "Gee, why isn't my portfolio making as much money?" Well, part of it is global stinks. International and emerging markets stink. Emerging markets is down over 15% year to date, right? And this ACWI index, get this. Uh, the gain from the top six stocks, by the way, four of them being the same that we've talked about, five of them being the top that we talked about before, Amazon, Apple, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. That in, the gains from those six positions were 3.02% in the weighting of the index. Now, get this. Get this. How do you get 3.029% rate of return when the index is up 1.95? The top six holdings were making up 155% of the total index return. Now, do you even understand what that means? That means that the rest of the index, the other 94 companies combined, are negative mm-hmm. on the year. What's driven this market is Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, and Netflix. Period. That is what an investor needs to understand about indexing. That is what an investor needs to understand about greed. Are they overvalued? I don't know. That's, you know, that, that's, that's the million-dollar question. Value is relative. I mean, Amazon and Netflix have traded at high multiples, I mean, darn near since the day they went public. Who knows? It's in the eyes of the beholder. But I'll tell you this, the more people pouring into the indexes, they're going to make them more expensive. And the March of 2000 will once again be on their doorstep. Hmm. And then they're going to make the statement they made in 2000, Matt, which was this. I thought I was diversified. I, th- how can my portfolio go down so much? I'm in the index. I thought I was diversified. Yeah, you were diversified. You just didn't know how much you owned of each position and the impact it had to your portfolio.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You didn't have clarity. Hmm. Hopefully, that answers your question. I'm on did. A little bit of a box. Oh today.
0: no, that that's and I love you know I love it when you have interactions like you did because you do get fired up and it, it makes, uh, I don't know, uh, you know, when you, when you kind of jump back into those environments that, that you're, you know, a little bit insulated from because of, you know, really what you do. And you, I mean, you're the big yes. wig of all of nepsis. Um, <laughs> but it's nice when you get back into the trenches and it just reinforces everything that you've been talking about, Mark. I think that's super powerful.
1: Thank you. Well, and it's interesting. You know, then you go to the, you talk to the, it, it, Here's the other thing I've learned. People, Want immediate gratification. Hmm. People are not long term investors. We talked about the average holding period of a stock years ago was eight years. Now it's eight months. People look at the return of last year of a portfolio or the last three years. They don't look at how the returns were garnered. They don't even know how to figure out how the returns are garnered. You know, one of the topics we really need to talk about is the big topic, the big subject on Wall Street right now, uh, buzzwords is value worth versus growth there are growth stocks, and there are value stocks. Most investors don't even know what that means. I mean, they just look at the mutual fund returns, and they see the word growth in it, they see the word value in it, and they have no understanding of what that really means to them. But there are asset allocation strategies, and there are what's considered categorized growth stocks, and there's what is categorized as value stocks. And investors don't have any, have any idea what that means. They just look at the historical returns, and they, or they look at their portfolio. and go, Geez, my portfolio is not doing well. This this money manager must be an idiot. I'm going to go move my money somewhere else, where I can see that there's been returns. And then they go move the money, and then it doesn't doesn't happen. Remember when we did the Morningstar deal with mm-hmm. Chuck, mm-hmm. Falling Star? I don't remember what podcast it was, but we talked about the number of funds that in one year were the five were five star rated funds, and like 80 or 85 percent of them, or something like that. Uh, three years later. Are no longer five-star rated funds. You know The percentage of five-star rated funds that are five-star rated funds three, five, 10 years later is like significantly diminished because there's a focus on the short-term returns. And look, if you owned Apple, you owned Amazon and Microsoft and you owned a large percentage of them, <laughs> you look like a stallion. And I sat with these clients yesterday and I'm telling them, do, do you even understand structurally how your portfolio is? No because they don't read the content they're given. So when you ask, where do people go for unbiased content? Go to Nepsis, because we literally write to our clients exactly what's going on in their portfolio so they know. I I think ultimately, at the end of the day, no portfolio manager has a great year every year. Warren Buffett's a classic example of that. But it's the process that enables them to be successful, and Wall Street does not focus on process. They focus on fees, and they focus on historical returns.
0: If you have not signed up to get communication from Nepsis, if you haven't spent time on the site, if you haven't watched the videos, you haven't listened to the radio show, you haven't downloaded the white papers, I believe you're doing yourself a disservice because even if you're not using Nepsis or a financial advisor who uses Nepsis for their money management, take those white papers and hand them to your advisor and see how they respond. It will be quite telling.
1: <laughs> yeah, only if you really want to know the truth.
0: Well, but maybe maybe it's just because right. I am that seeker of the truth, Mark. Maybe that's why I, I'm asking yes. them to do that because it will be quite eye opening. I think.
1: Yes. Well, I mean, when I when I showed these people these these uh, this data on uh, on what was going on with with these six stocks, and and this is why they. This is why you've got greater volatility. These growth stocks have this volatility and they all came down quite a bit, right? And here Netflix is up today on their earnings and it's, it's helping the NASDAQ, right? I think last time I looked, the markets were as a whole, the S&P and Dow were down, NASDAQ was up, I think, because of uh, Apple. Several years ago, while everyone thinking, was thinking the U.S. stock market was so much better than the world markets, there were days where, I, I remember one day I was driving And uh, they were talking about the how the Nasdaq was up one percent on that day, and one hundred percent of that one percent was Apple. Hmm. (laughs) I, I mean, at the end, no, uh, please, full disclosure, folks. Don't go buy Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, (laughs) and Netflix just because they're the top stocks in the index, and you need to do that. Consult your advisor. You know, consult your, do your research. All those fine disclosures before you go do that. But at the end of the day, successful long-term investing always, 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 always has been. I shouldn't say always. That's too promissory. Uh, time-tested. Investing in great businesses over time has benefited investors tremendously. With volatility, of course.
0: Any sort of uh, kind of wrap-up to this growth versus value and, and oh well we do need to preview the next show that chuck is going to be on chuck atzweiler and we're going to dive into a lot more of these numbers so if you love that stuff and, and chuck being on the podcast is always so much fun um yeah make sure you tune into the next one but uh closing thoughts about today
1: yeah i, I think uh we're in the midst right now of a pullback. uh we've got an election coming up it's near term uncertainty uh during election years we always see this kind of thing happen uh people are debating are we seeing a a shift From growth stocks to value stocks, Uh, who knows? Frankly, a well-diversified and asset-allocated portfolio should actually own both. And uh, I'll end with this. We have now put out quite a few podcasts. Um, I have had people uh, listen to all of them. I had one guy actually uh, message me and say he's listened to every podcast three times. Wow. Uh, if, if, If you have not listened to all the podcasts, Investing with Clarity podcasts, and don't have a greater understanding of how you can be successful in investing, I don't know what else can. The power of investing with clarity cannot be understated, it cannot be underestimated, and frankly, I'm not sure what kind of value you can put on it, but I do know this, we are all humans, we are all behavioral, Uh, we are all emotional, and at the end of the day, the greater clarity you have about your plan and your investing, I believe the greater it can, the potential to enhance your investment process.
0: And with that, please go to the NEPSIS website. Uh, all sorts of great uh, information. Uh, the past podcasts, radio shows, um, the white papers are fantastic. They're very, very well written, again, with clarity in mind. Uh, the NEPSIS team doesn't write things to confuse you, they write things to give you that clarity. I know we talk about it a lot on the podcast that clarity is so important, but there, there is so little clarity in our industry uh, with marketing and with everything that's going on in the news, which is how we started the podcast today. Yes. So when you're trying to find clarity, and you're trying to really truly understand what's going on, go to the place that believes in clarity, which is which is nepsis. So Mark, thank you very much for your brain today.
1: Thank you again, boss.
0: If you have not subscribed to the podcast, make sure you click that subscribe now button below. That way you can binge listen to all of the podcasts that we've done for Invest With Clarity. Also, make sure that you uh, tune into the radio show that Mark does with his team and also sign up and get on their website and start downloading some white papers. All right. So for everybody at the Nepsis team, this is Matt Hallern, and we'll see on the other side of the mic very soon. The content discussed is for informational purposes only. It is not a solicitation or recommendation for any securities that may be mentioned herein. Advisory services offered through Napsus, Inc., an SEC-registered investment advisor.